Hello and welcome to the Careers Mayor podcast where my lovely co-host Jordan and I interview all sorts of people from all walks of life about their working lives and their dream jobs and have a bit of an old laugh along the way. This is episode 13, the unlucky episode. So to make sure nothing goes wrong, I've gone to the trouble of scripting this intro. Isn't that right, Jordan? Yes, Jacob, that is very sensible. We had better avoid any risk, given that it is the 13th episode. Are you okay, Jordan? You sound a bit stilted. I am fine, Jacob. I'm just reading from the script you wrote for this intro, and you didn't give me time to read it in advance. (laughs) And to be honest, I don't think that you have quite captured my usual tone and manner of speaking. Oh, right, of course. Uh, We've been reading from the script right from the start. It's a humorous device, I see. Uh, It's not easy, you know, listeners, to keep these intros fresh for regular listeners while also remaining accessible to newcomers. You're doing a good job, though, Jacob, especially with this scripted introduction idea. This is sure to ward off any bad luck. But isn't it about time that we introduce this episode's guest? Hang on, Jordan. I've scripted a careers-themed joke for you first. (laughs) Oh, good. Let me just find it. Ah, yes, here it is. The joke is as follows. I used to work at a calendar factory, but I got fired because I took a couple of days off. Oh, (laughs) that's definitely a thinker, isn't it? Not laugh out loud, but you have to think about it. I don't think I get it. As in, you stole a couple of days? Oh, hang on. Or you took a couple of days off the calendar. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I think it's more that. Still all scripted. Yep, genuinely every word so far that either of us has said has been off Jacob's script. Yeah, and now's the bit where I say that our guest this week is Alex Alex Matthews. Matthews. Oh, that timing was a bit off. A little bit of bad luck (laughs) creeping in there, but luckily we have the straight rails of this script to keep us on course. Yes, Alex, like Anil, our guest on episode 10, uh, works in the news media, uh, but he works in technical logistics. He's had a very interesting career to date. He's a very funny man, and he even lived with me for two years uh, when we were at university, the poor man. Yep, still every word, including these words, are scripted. Jacob is still scrolling through the script in front of us both, and I feel trapped, like my mouth doesn't belong to me anymore. (laughs) But you see, Jordan, nothing has gone wrong. The curse of 13 has been averted. Hooray! Now the only thing that need concern me is the safe return of my stolen voice. Let's speak to Alex. On with the episode. Welcome, Alex, to the Careers Mayor podcast. You're looking very high definition on our screens. How are you no, doing thank today? Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, I'm very well. Good. You've got a nice DSLR set up there? Yeah, it's probably a little bit overkill for this, to be honest with you. I feel like a little overdressed in terms of like the video quality that I've brought here. No offence to either of your video <laughs> qualities. But... Yeah, but you're using a DSLR as a webcam. I am, yeah, but it's just because it's the only webcam I have. So, oh, this old thing, yeah, yeah. Oh, so it's the only one I, I just had it on me, you know. It's, it's a shame this isn't a video podcast. Mm, everyone would be, yeah. 
they'd be able to see me in horrifying high definition. <laughs> yeah, HK <laughs> Alex. Matthews. Yeah, no one wants that really. So I met you, I think Alex, when we were 18 or maybe even 17. Yeah, no, so we... I, I met you a long time ago. Actually, one of, if not the first people I met at university. Yeah, yeah. Um, almost exactly 10 years to the day before this episode is yeah released and we worked out yeah it's been a long decade um <laughs> but obviously um that the alex matthews who subsisted in the world before that day mm. is unknown unbeknownst to me if i can put mm. it in those terms you can <laughs> so um when did you first become cognizant of the idea that one day you might have to work and what did you what were your feelings about that prospect i think generally speaking i was quite sheltered in that respect like i didn't have like a paper route or anything like that as a kid it what it feels like looking back on it now is i went like born school university the job i have right now <laughs> and there was no real like nothing else really happened in that respect it feels like quite a nice smooth pathway that i took but i think um when you're in school at that sort of when i was 16 which what year would that have been like 20 12 yeah um there was a massive push i think in schools to get everybody to go to university they weren't doing um sort of trade jobs or whatever you'd call that like you know uh, skilled work placements it was all everyone's got to go to university and so at that age when someone says to you well have you thought about what you want to go to university for i have absolutely no idea i don't think most people did but around that time there were a lot of people on youtube and things like that who would like film and edit videos and put them online and i thought well, that's quite a cool thing to do like, i get enjoyment from watching stuff like that wouldn't it be cool to like be part of that somehow on the creative side that was really the only sort of inkling i had of what i might have wanted to do and so i started looking at um university placements for things like editing which is what i ended up doing at solent university so what what did your um what did your dad do it's i know it's something to do with cars mm. but i can't quite remember yeah i mean he just bought and sold cars he's always bought and sold classic cars his entire career as far as i know is he anything like the dad in matilda what was the dad in matilda what like the gray sort of or like the brown suit <laughs> like, yeah mr wormwood like, i think that's his yeah name. Who, I, I don't who, think who so fill, who, I, uh, what was his like he has all these second-hand cars and he like right he winds the speedometer oh yeah he oh, not winds speedometer. the speedometer back not oh, speedometer. Sorry, the, the mileometer yeah <laughs> what would be the point said, of winding the speedometer going, back going backwards <laughs> in speed <laughs> yeah no yeah he, he takes the um the mileage down to make the car not as old as um yeah. it's or make it look newer than it actually yeah. is yeah but he didn't no, do he that doesn't, no he doesn't do that no and if he did you um, wouldn't say on this podcast probably. and obviously i wouldn't i wouldn't say something like that on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very stupid thing to do yeah the um, commissioner of the metropolis the commissioner of the police of the metropolis invites you on his yeah. podcast <laughs> to tell you, say... you have to tell him all about your crimes it's like confession <laughs> Except you actually get prosecuted afterwards. Yeah. It's all under oath. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, so uh, unrelated, basically. Uh, um, I found out subsequently that 
there are members of my family who've done stuff like photography and things related to this in the past. But at the time, I, there wasn't really much of an influence on me because I didn't know that they were doing that at the time. But you do know a lot about cars from speaking to you. I remember you once took the trouble yeah. on a, when we were out on a walk to pretty much explain from first principles how, a, how an engine works. Which, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it has its benefits because yeah. in the job that I'm in now, I kind of have this weird fusion of a lot of different things, including managing a fleet of vehicles. So having some mechanical sympathy actually did serve me quite well going into that role. I wouldn't have known that at the time, you know. Yeah, I like the phrase mechanical sympathy. Yeah. Uh, not a, a lot of people. Name. Yeah, mechanical <laughs> sympathy. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, the only thing I was going to say in addition to that was that I, Obviously, I think for most of us growing up, you didn't get smartphones because they hadn't been invented yet, which sounds made me feel really old now that I think about it. But I had like a a Sony Ericsson little like brick phone. Yeah, me too. Did you have the? I still remember mine was the W810i with the little orange button on the side that oh, took you into like the Sony Ericsson app. I I think I had one of those at some it point. But I don't think that was yeah. the very first one. But mm. when you said the number. Mm. that triggered something that rang a bell a numeric bell in my head so when i got that phone obviously the phone camera was absolutely awful i think people call it uh, you'd call it potato quality it's really really bad quality like i remember filming stuff with that and also trying to do like stop motion stuff but it's really difficult to do with that because Mm. i think i did as well the the only way to do it was you could take individual photos but if you did that you'd have to take it into an editing software which i didn't have or like windows movie maker or whatever so i would like start and stop the video on the thing because you could you could pause yeah. without actually stopping the recording yeah um, i'd love to oh, only sure 90s kids will appreciate somewhere. this if you're yeah, born after the year 2000 turn this off <laughs> yeah you're not gonna get it you weren't there man <laughs> um yeah so I'd love to find those again. I probably have the phone somewhere, but like with everything, it's got some ancient proprietary charging cable. So the battery's long dead and I can't find the charging cable for it anymore. Yeah. You'd have to go to to like a market in Shanghai or something to buy (laughs) buy that cable now. Go on an odyssey, like Indiana Jones. It's just on the plinth. There's just a Sony Ericsson W810i charging cable. But I have a, I have, um, I think the few videos that we have of my, sister my older sister she's not older than me but the older sister that i have um <laughs> hmm. she uh they're all taken with that kind of a phone yeah so it's 144p i think is the resolution yeah i'd be um, amazed if it was even that i seem to remember it being even worse quality than 144p yeah. but... i watch all of my videos on youtube in 144p <laughs> So I do you. So I can still feel <laughs> <To> conserve. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't because it that's a, I guess that's a family business that your dad's got. He does up and sells classic cars. What is Well, it it could have been any cars. It it wasn't exclusively classic cars, but it was older vehicles. The thing is as time's gone on it's become harder to procure those sorts of things because in the sort of early days of him doing, I guess before I was born, you could go out and buy triumph spitfires or rolls like old rolls royces and things and they were just around and they were almost consumable items in that respect like i remember him saying to me once that like there was quite a rare ford capri that he had and he sold it to someone and they they crashed it into one of those pedestrian islands 
and mm-hmm. like ripped the wheel out of the wheel arch and that's repairable and nowadays you take that car and you'd repair it but they were just like oh just put it on the scrap heap you know so it it was a lot easier to get cars like that back then um, well they're moving nowadays, further away aren't they like tem- exactly, temporarily yeah. speaking they're moving and further it, away yeah you know if you imagine over time they're obviously breaking or rusting away or the ones that are in good condition get put in private collections that rich people have you know but yeah back when i was young also had all sorts of things it's the sort of thing where even if you'd just taken the snapshot of when i was a kid if you took all of those cars and put them in a a barn somewhere and then tried to sell them today you'd have so much money (laughs) but back then they just weren't worth as much because they were more common you know so did were you interested in in that business when you were younger to be honest like you say i i don't really ever think i thought about it it's really strange but i just didn't really think about the possibility that i would have to work (laughs) again maybe that's a sheltered thing to say but yeah um i would occasionally help with the cars if stuff you know needed doing with them and i would go with my dad to like collect cars and things like that but i it never really occurred to me that that was a thing that i could do um (laughs) so there wasn't any sense that you know, it was a family business that you could get involved with. No, and I mean, I think my my parents were very supportive in that it was kind of just whatever came to me in the end, i.e. the sort of filmmaking, editing stuff. They were just happy for me to go and pursue what I wanted to do. They, there was never sort of like a, you hear like people say, oh, you know, we've, we've got a proud family of like farmers or doctors or whatever. You're going to do that as well. It wasn't like that or anything. Yeah, I guess they might have thought that by the time you got to the stage of, running that business you would be you know classic cars would be the ones that were then common mm. you might have been you know a repairing vintage uh, volkswagen golfs yeah and uh priuses <laughs> oh yeah lovely pre-i didn't they actually say that the that the they said that they that officially the plural was pre-i uh, i don't know because wasn't no there idea. an ad campaign about that years ago where it was like what's the plural of Prius, where it was some sort uh, of thing that was doing the rounds, wasn't it? Yeah, the decision was the result of a marketing campaign, oh, okay. apparently. I'm so sorry it was for mentioning it then. It was, it was designed to make you want to buy a Prius, which I don't want to, so it failed. <laughs> it's designed to make you want to buy a plural number of a, Priuses. A pre I. <laughs> I love well, this a... advert so much, I'm going to buy 10 pre I. <laughs> mm, great. Well, there's, a, there's an advert at the moment. I'm sorry to mention it. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I find adverts extremely annoying. But about um, Hyundai, have you seen those adverts when mm. or Hyundai, which is Where how everyone it's pronounced Hyundai, yeah. by Hyundai. the way, yeah, Hyundai. pretty, yeah. And, and it seems to be all Scottish people. Mm. Actually, it's Hyundai, and then they mm. they make their new slogan rhyme with Hyundai just to real really hammer it home. Mm. I think surely any decent thinking person's response to that advert is to make a solemn vow to themselves to only ever say Hyundai for the rest of their lives. Surely. I always think about um, the creator of the GIF saying that it's actually pronounced GIF and everyone kind of squarely ignoring the fact that that's what he wanted yeah. it to be called. Because yeah. yeah. everyone was already calling it GIF and a lot of people point out that it stands for graphics something or other, yeah. not graphics, <laughs> which is a fair point. I feel like. Park. Giraffics. Yeah. Uh, I, so not, it's true. They really do. <laughs> the, the pre I do move in herds. 
<laughs> and Jif as well is a cleaner. A cleaning product. Which yeah. itself was renamed to Sif, I believe. Oh, yeah, or was so it the it other was. way around? <laughs> so I might have been Sif to Jif, I don't remember, yeah. So it's a long time ago. There really are wheels within wheels, and we on the Charisma <laughs> podcast are we've become like one of those true crime podcasts now, mm. but we're <laughs> we're going into this mystery. Yeah, someone needs to solve it. Please write in and say, has <laughs> anything named Sif ever been renamed to something else? <laughs> PO box <laughs> one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> London SW11118A <laughs> I want you Alex to tell us about the time when you suggested that we get up at four in the morning and get on the train from Southampton to Cosham to go and try to take a photo of a heron please oh god okay um so I yeah we we well You've pretty much done the setup. We got on a train at four o'clock in the morning to go to Cosham to take a picture of a heron. Now, why would you want to do that, Alex? Is it, are you possibly um, interested in photographing birds? Yes. Okay. So I suppose, yeah, I am. Yeah. Uh, in my free time. Although weirdly, I kind of stopped doing it for about five years um, after this moment. This wasn't the moment that made me stop. It wasn't like <laughs> I was so disillusioned with it that I had to I had to quit for five years. But um, I seem to remember on multiple occasions, not just at Cosham, every single time I wanted to try and take a picture of a heron, it would always like fly away deliberately as if it knew that I was here for that purpose. But I don't remember what happened in Cosham specifically. Do you know? Because I have to admit, I don't remember a lot of things that go on. Well, in my I think life. I, I, Alex did say to us before we started recording that mm. he's got a terrible memory. So mm. I, I, I. Dread I'd like to, to think what's going to happen when we get onto the parts when I wasn't also there mm. and can't fill in the gaps. I know. So I would say... <laughs> At least I think they're, that... they're closer to the present, so you've got more of a chance we, of remembering. To, in my defence, we will get onto what my actual job is, but I think the problem is it's been so... <laughs> there's so much to take in in that role that I've pretty much forgotten everything that happened before I started working there. Um so yes. I think I just remember I remember funny things that have happened to me and strange things that have happened to me and I'm less good at remembering uh you know like to do things around the house and whatnot mm. and errands. Mm. Um so you know we're making up for each other's deficiencies here I think. Yeah exactly. Well, well I don't I know, know that makes so... it sound like you come around and tidy my house which isn't which isn't the <laughs> which case. I don't do that no. <laughs> but yeah um, but, but are you it... talking about the the sketch that we came yeah, up yeah. with? So it was was what... that, did that happen at that time yeah, right? Yeah, okay. yeah so it was while we were there is we went around mm. looking for this heron for ages and just to stress mm. on you that it was mm. four o'clock in the morning when we got up to go and do this. Mm. Um, and I did it because I thought, well, why not? But also, if we don't get a photo of a heron, I'm going to be really annoyed that we had to do this. <laughs> mm. um, and then I was sort of a few feet behind you because you were leading the way with the camera. I was following mm. you to where you thought the best place would be to find a heron. Mm. And then what I remember is that you you saw a heron and it immediately flew away before <laughs> I could even catch up and see it as well. Mm. And then that was it. It was uh, mm. the chase was about an hour, an hour and a half, and mm. and the period of time during which your, you know, the photons bouncing off a heron's feathers were flying into your eyes was only a few seconds. Mm. I've come to find that this is actually the case all the time with <laughs> not just herons but photography of wildlife in general. <laughs> yeah, so um, so maybe to work out some of that anger 
um, we wrote a extremely high budget sketch idea, uh, which is mm. as follows: mm. fade uh, in. Yeah, sorry, no, you, you carry on if you were gonna. <laughs> I, I was just gonna say I I should note that obviously I'm not a comedy sketch writer. That was your thing, but obviously my I like to think that we fused uh, an interest in wildlife photography with comedy that day. I disagree because I'm pretty sure that you came up with the 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 idea, the central idea. But I will explain. Okay, I'll explain what it was. Go for Fade it. Fade in a lake covered in birds and well covered in ducks and other birds. On the bank of the lake, there are two uh, bird spotters, uh, and they've obviously been at, they've come out, you know, they might have been out there for a while. They've got flasks of tea, anoraks, deck, uh, camping chairs, um, all their, well, binoculars, all their kit with them, notebook, bird-watching book, everything they need. And, you know, it's a bit like fishing when part of the joy of it is just that you, tend to sit there for quite a long time and do nothing. So there's that kind of a vibe that we're getting off them at the beginning here. And then a third person walks in, seemingly just like the first two. He walks over and sits a bit away from them. You know, he doesn't like join them, but he sits nearish them. You know, there's a certain camaraderie from the fact that they're there pursuing the same wholesome pastime. And this new person sits down and gets out a flask of tea and unscrews the lid and maybe pours himself a cup of tea, um, starts getting out his, gets out his camping chair, his kit, and just sort of starts getting himself together. And, you know, he's kind of being quiet and respectful because he doesn't want to scare the birds away for the for the other two people. So I'm laughing because I know what I'm about to say. <laughs> and then, you know, he's being quiet and respectful Um doesn't want to disturb the birds because the other two. And then maybe we cut back to the other two and then we cut back to the new person and he whips out a mini gun. (laughs) (laughs) And for those of you who don't know, mini gun is definitely not, is a misnomer Mm -hmm. because it is a very big gun um, that fires lots of bullets very quickly. It's a huge mechanized thing that has a great big spinning barrel uh, that fires probably dozens of bullets mini a projectiles. second. Yeah. It should be called a mini-gun. <laughs> mini-gun, yeah. <laughs> Keep that in. Well, um, and, <laughs> and he basically just cuts up He just goes across the, the tree line, yeah. just destroys <laughs> just like, all. Yeah. Like cutting through. I think like, like, chis- like um, cutting all through all the trees and all of the mm. birds, you know, mm. pow, 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 like feathers, like flying, mm. like they're all just completely torn down, decimated in seconds. And it just holds on him doing this for mm. a long time. A detail that I did miss out is that the other people have binoculars on tripods and that's the yeah the idea was that they have either binoculars or cameras on tripods so he's like saying to them oh you know do you see anything interesting today while setting up the tripod yeah and so the last bit is then he whips it out puts it on the tripod and just mows down the entire (laughs) lake full of birds yeah that uh, i i you get at least half the credit for that idea alex um well thank you because that was uh yeah that was a lot of fun um but you we'd established that you possibly through uh, mere inaction or inertia did not didn't occur to you what you might do until you happened across youtube videos and you thought oh, i'd be interested in the production or post-production of those things so then what 
specific discipline were you interested in and what degree did you decide to do? Well, so I ended up um, applying to Southampton Solent and a couple of other universities. I'd heard good things about Portsmouth University. And so I kind of wanted to get in there and Southampton was actually my second choice. And I don't think Portsmouth accepted me, which I guess they oh, must really? have, because otherwise I would have gone with it. But then um, I actually think going to Southampton was better. So I, uh, I think they've changed it now, but at the time you had three options. So it was television production, but then you could attach an optional sort of specialization. So you could either do television video production, television studio production, or television post-production. And so I did the post-production one, which is what I think you were interested in as well, the, Jacob, was so the editing I, side yes. of it. And that's how we yeah. met. And it was, I think the best thing about university, because I think a lot of people that I've seen kind of, there's a kind of argument for like, is it even worth going to university? Because there's a lot of stuff you can learn online. And I know that a lot of the learning I did supplementally was just looking up tutorials for things online. I think the biggest thing about it was just the connections that you make. I think that's invaluable because I wouldn't be working where I am today without that. And I know for better or for worse, the television industry is still very much a sort of who you know economy. You still have to back that up by being good at what you do once you're there. But I think there's definitely, if you know people in the industry, it helps a lot. And going to universities, I think, gives you that access. So, Alex, obviously we've talked about uni, um, but what was your first paid job? Yeah, so unlike a lot of people, I think I didn't get a job at uni and I hadn't really had, I'd done like work experience that was mandated through secondary school, but I hadn't actually worked a paid job. Southampton Solent was good in that you could, at the end of your third year, they had, I think it was called like Solent Creatives or something like that. And they would try to place you on jobs. So like I did a job filming the airside driver safety video for Southampton Airport, just as a sort of like you work with clients oh, wow. and, and you cool. kind of work to a deadline and stuff. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Probably wasn't very good. but Is that why we've heard the stories about the remarkably high number of plane crashes they, in the Southampton Yeah, area. the number of people careering off the road into the active runway. That was, <laughs> that was all my doing. Um, <laughs> there was stuff like that, but there were also, it's funny, I remember in one of, uh, I think it was the episode where you interviewed uh, your friend who's a doctor. Oh yeah, George uh, or, Cook. Was episode it eight, Cook or... go and listen to it if you haven't heard yeah. it already. I think Spotify it was that one. It, it, it might have been one, it was either that or a different one where oh. he said it's like, um, it's the analogy he used was like the landing craft door coming down. I basically felt like university was a bit like the scene in Saving Private Ryan where the door came down. I've used that ex example before because they kind of pat you on the back and go, yeah, your CV's great. I'm sure you'll do fine in the real world. And then the ramp comes down and everyone just gets slaughtered by not getting any callbacks at all on any of the jobs you apply yeah. for. And Tom um, Hanks is behind you going, I'll and, see you on the beach. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he did that as well. He, they, yeah. they got him in. But the good thing about the thing they tried to do to remedy that was you could apply for different placements. And so I applied to a placement, a paid placement at a place called and I went there for an interview. Weirdly, I actually got rejected from it. But then the guy called me back and said, I want to. And in hindsight, this is a massive red flag. But he was like, I don't want to do it through the university program. But I do want to take you on board. And it's like, 
yeah. Anyway, on the surface of it, this place looked really legit. You know, the the CEO or whatever was there in his like suit, nice professional photo shoot. Lots of members of crew with like the company name on their shirts and everything. It looked like a legitimate business, and I guess in a way it was. But when I actually started working there, I realised that it was a lot smaller than it. Basically, it was a fantastic marketing masterclass, really. But the actual job was just run out of like a business centre, which I guess is that like the place where you go if you're a small business, you can hire out office space. Is that mm. what you call? Is that a business centre? Like a create, like a creative space, or like a shared, a shared office, I guess. You'd call shared it. office, yeah, 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 that sort of thing. But they were, I mean, I I saw the outside of them, and they were cheap cheap looking Mm. yeah they were cheap looking and what it actually turned into was i was kind of hired on as an intern social media executive which i feel like putting the word executive in the title makes it sound a lot better than it actually is because what i was actually doing was taking the same video clips over and over again editing them into slightly different promo videos and then having just an insane upload schedule to like facebook twitter all these different places just uploading stuff every single day to try and hook people into you know oh you want to use our services to do it's like business to business marketing videos that sort of thing it's hard to really know where to start because everything about it was so bizarre and obviously i won't mention specifically the name of the person but I guess the way I would describe the the guy, because I didn't really actually get paid as an intern. I did get paid if I went on shoots, but we didn't do many of those. And the whole kind of shtick with it was that actually it was just one guy basically hiring in freelancers to do the work, but making it seem like they worked for him. So, for example, I remember one time he was like, oh, you know, watch the way that I'm writing this and everything. And so, you know, because I guess he wanted ultimately to try and get me doing this sort of thing someone would say, oh, we want some motion graphics for our video. And he would say, okay, let me put you in touch with my head of animation. And in reality, the head of animation was just a freelancer who did motion graphics. Uh, You know, it was all a bit of a farcical sort of, it was to create the image that you had a big team behind you, but he actually didn't. He had this sort of grand plan in his mind that, you know, if he had these ideas that if you just uploaded a lot to social media, that was how you just had to keep chipping away at it. And eventually you would get clients that way, if that makes sense. And so that was a big part of what I did was just constantly Mm. setting up automated systems to upload stuff. Not like when people hire bots to do stuff like that. It was just like a... (laughs) You, 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 you were a that human makes it bot. Lot, yeah, that makes it sound a lot more illicit. What it actually was was like you can get bits of software that just schedule tweets to be released. So I had to still manually input them, but then it would send them out at certain times. So I didn't have to literally be awake at like 12 o'clock at night as if anyone, I don't know, it's weird. The whole thing was weird. So when you actually got into this business, you got mm. into the office, you spent time with the owner. What was it like? What was the office like? What was a day's work like when you went in there to do a day's work? Just take us through all that. Well, it's really weird. It was, it's very bizarre. It Again, being one of these like business shared office rental spaces, the actual room itself was tiny and it just had like a couple of Mac computers in there. And I would just turn up. And the annoying thing is they had those Mac magic mouses, you know, the ones where you have to charge it you have to turn it upside down and plug the thing in at the bottom to charge it so you can't use the mouse while it's charging. No. That's, it's a really weird design oversight by Apple. But 
they had those mice there. So I had to every now and then I'd just have to stop because I, I had to, the mouse would die and I'd have to just like turn it upside down and plug it in again. But most of the time I was either like in Photoshop doing promo pictures or I was doing editing promo video stuff. He had like a library of different shoots that he'd done over the years and I would just go through and edit those differently every time. It was the same. It was, there wasn't a lot of footage to go through. There weren't that many jobs on file. So you were just kind of rehashing the same stuff and then uploading an industrial quantity of it to Twitter every day. That was really all I was doing. And he, I think he might have asked me to come up with a, a schedule to upload things. And that's where I've got a picture that I sent you, Jacob, of the, uh, the whiteboard with like Monday through to Sunday and then the different times throughout the day of when the posts would go up. But again, it seemed like a lot of work for nothing, really. How does that compare to what you thought you would be doing? Well, I thought I'd be doing actual filming or editing of stuff that was coming in so you assume in a role like that like the stuff be... you've been doing in your degree you thought yeah, it'd be yeah i thought it'd be actually yeah exactly i thought that there would be more actual shoots and you'd go and you go on those shoots help learn the skills because the way it looked from the photos on the site was that there was a team of experienced people who went and did lots of high profile corporate jobs and you'd learn from them the sort of ropes of the corporate video production world. Either that, or I'd be doing the editing side of things. And when that stuff came back to the office, I'd be working alongside an editor as an assistant or something. And I, you know, you think you'd actually be learning something, but actually it was just a very small time production. It was basically the CEO and me sat in an office <laughs> awkwardly for six hours or however many hours I was working that day. So this CEO... Let's call him Jimmy Mattress. Yeah, fine. Mr. Mattress. Um, tell us more about him. Just a... a I wish I could explain. Uh, I, it's really hard to kind of... My... The, the immediate thing I go to is the sort of people who've got this sort of grind set. If you know that term, you might have heard <laughs> I, that term. I, I, was it's a kind of, I think if yeah. you turned the word grind set into a person... That's that would what, be him. Yeah. That's yeah. what and he was. That is what I was picturing when you said like, set the, is like, suit, a, like the, the whole look. Yeah, yeah, it's a heavily sort of mocked term. In fact, I'm going to send but, Jordan a picture of him while you say what you're going to say. You know, yeah. And you know the picture I'm talking about as well. Yeah, I, I know the exact picture. <laughs> it's very, um, you know, sharply dressed, giving the image of constantly just having... Basically... They, he would always have something to say, even if it made absolutely no sense at all, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean, Jacob? It would be like, he would, he'd say, like someone would ask him a question, like, how's the weather today? And he'd go off on this long spiel that sounded very articulate, but meant absolute, absolutely nothing about, you know. Just the loves the question. sound of his own voice. Yeah, typical yeah. sort of like what you'd imagine businessman to be like. It's all very sort of buzzwordy, and, but not any real substance to it. I remember on his desk, he had like post-it notes that said like, uh, Jimmy Mattress never gives up. Jimmy Mattress <laughs> is always motivated. Like motivational messages to himself, which oh, at the time no. I remember thinking that's like crazy person stuff, to put it bluntly. It's not like, in, that's the, not, in the third person that's scary. as well. Yeah, in the like, third person. Like I can person. understand like if it makes you feel better putting a post-it note on your computer, like you, you can do it, but not like... Yeah. 
Jordan Andrews can do it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was just a bit strange. It struck me as a bit strange. And also, I remember, uh, and I'm going to tell the story about how we went to the rooftop bar, Jacob. Just before you do, I'm going to yeah. quickly get Jordan's live reaction to the picture of Jimmy Mattress um, so on. we can all hear and enjoy it. Go on. So you just tell just tell us what you think when you see this picture. <laughs> that is a Sky Sports Monday Night Football pundit if <laughs> ever I've seen one. <laughs> that, that is that yeah. is a retired footballer. Yeah. Um, that, <laughs> that is Oh, the suit as well. With the yeah, it's pocket. a look, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, God, and the watch and the pocket It's the fact that the timepiece is on display. Like, he's got his arm yeah. deliberately kind of pointing to the... the yeah, it's... um. Yeah, so audience, if you just picture any sort of footballer who kind of had a bit of a career at like a mid-table club in like the 2010s <laughs> and maybe got like four caps for England um, and then now a pundit on Sky Sports. That's exactly what this guy looks like. He does look jacked, actually. I think he might have, yeah, he he might have exercised. Like a unit, he? Yeah, he was, he was, to be fair to him, he obviously, the one thing he did do was hit the Iron Temple quite a lot. He was definitely <laughs> in the gym. Oh, you know but, he called it that as well. Yeah, obviously. The, the, yeah. the dojo. That's what yeah, he called it. Yeah, the dojo. But um, basically, there was this one time where... <laughs> what a photo. Um, he, he basically uh, said to me one day after work, I think we should kind of celebrate you being onboarded onto the, into the company. Should we go uh, to Revolution, you know, Revs? There's a rooftop bar in Southampton. So we went up there and it was a lovely evening, actually, as I remember. It was lovely and warm. And we're there, like, I'm there in my shirt and everything. We're all looking like we just come out of an office. He goes, I was just going to go up to the bar, like, what do you want sort of thing? And I just said, oh, I don't mind, beer or whatever. And he comes back with these two women in tow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just see Jordan's head whip around. Um, and, and it's really, so obviously, not what I was expecting. I didn't expect to be hit with this. And he sits down. And I don't even think at this point he's got the drinks. He's just, he's brought these two women over that he's appeared with. And he goes, oh, um, yeah, this is my like head of uh, this is my social media executive, Alex. Uh, this is like whoever and whoever, and it's honestly this is such an awkward interaction because this isn't me at all. I don't go to bars yeah. and pick up women, you know. And so he he kind of they all sit down and he's kind of waxing lyrical, if that's the right term, about how he's his company owns a company and all this sort of thing. Exactly what you'd expect the sort of that type of person to do and then if i remember rightly he goes right i'm gonna go and get those drinks now because i think like, they're ready at the bar so he just gets up and leaves me with these two people and i'm like what am i supposed to say i've been in the job like a week i don't know anything about anything and now i've got to try and entertain these two people that he's given the hard sell to it was just such a, a horrifically awkward experience and there was nothing really to say because after he would bragged about how he owned a company there was just, it all kind of went dead. And after we had our drinks, it was kind of like, okay, bye, see you later. It's just weird. And then afterwards, I'm sure he said, you know, um, one of the things that I'm going to teach you is I'm going to teach you like how to pick up women or something like that. And it's like, God, this is so awful. This is exactly what 
you would imagine again it's exactly what you would imagine someone like this would be like so the sort of the pickup artist the smooth operator you know so he's it's clear, just awful he's clearly not in it he's not in that for the love of the craft is he? he's just he, he's, uh, if uh, i had to put money on it i would say or if i had to sort of analyze it i think he loved the idea of being the top dog ceo smooth operator but in reality he wasn't that but he he at least could put on the facade of being that when he could go to a bar and look suave like he did technically on paper own a company it just wasn't a very good one it didn't have any money i mean anyone who gives six pounds to company's house can own a company i mean we (laughs) own a company we own a company (laughs) that's true funko productions limited yeah so you don't um, see me going to revs with you no no it's just chicks just awkward well the night is young jordan (laughs) yeah there's still time yeah it's uh it's just a very awkward experience the whole thing and there were lots of times where I think he kind of he wanted to act like a smooth operator and then didn't. Uh, another example, which is just a kind of funny one that you couldn't have made it up, really, is the the Chinese takeaway. Because <laughs> I think he was trying to be like the cool boss, and he was like, "You hungry? Let's get in some Chinese. I know a place." And oh. he he was the, the first thing that was weird about it is he went. Luckily, we don't need to order any rice because I've got my own rice cooker. And he pulls out a giant bag of rice and a rice cooker. It's like so we only need to get we only need to get the the mains. We don't need the rice. And it's like, okay, is this a flex? I don't know. What, no, I don't know what this not, is. We're saving um, money. That's not yeah, a flex. exactly. But then it was the funniest bit was we ended up not having it because he called the first Chinese place. They didn't answer, and he was like, okay, it's fine. I know another one. Second place doesn't answer. I think he called six places, didn't he? None of them answered. Can so I we ju- didn't. The funniest yeah. details for me is that that happens on a weekday at lunch. <laughs> oh yeah, so yeah, it happens on a weekday at lunch. You'd think somebody would pick up the phone. No, mm. so we ended up not having Chinese in the end. And he, I think he might have said, "Do you want any rice?" And I was like, "No, I'm good, thanks." And he made himself rice. That is so funny, though. And like, it sounds like he's. He's got this image in his head of being like on Wall Street, but it's it like was a bit you, like that. You, are, yeah. you work in a shared office in Southampton. And yeah, it's not really to, much of a bragging say, hey, right. Don't worry, champ. I know a place. We won't even. Yeah. Uh, we won't even have to wait for our order. <laughs> they know. Yeah, we'll they be know. First me, in yeah. yeah, it was a little bit like that. <laughs> as he, say, but... he has this image of that shot in Goodfellas where he takes um, his girlfriend out for the date in the restaurant, and it's all one shot of him walking through the back door of the restaurant yeah, the and having the table the set up. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. just him walking up, walking up to a Chinese, knocking on the door, and realizing it's shut. It's closed. And then going over, <laughs> making his own rice. <laughs> And then he goes, yeah. oh, that's funny. And then the Chinese <laughs> door opens and Joe Pesci says, funny how? How am I funny? Yeah. <laughs> Do I make a clown? Do I make you laugh? <laughs> yeah, that pretty much sums up. Um, yeah, a very, very strange time. And the weirdest part about it is I eventually moved back to London with my parents and we had a, a schedule for uploading stuff to social media still. And at the end of that time where the schedule ran out, he just never contacted me again. I wasn't technically under contract to work for him either. So he just stopped talking to me. And for probably two or three months, I just heard absolutely nothing. And I was 
oh i guess that's it then i guess that's the end of my time at you know wow. i can say goodbye to that cushy executive social media position so you, that i had you were never officially let go oh i guess if you didn't have a contract i wasn't was on the books to be let go i was from. A, i was yeah. an intern yeah i got paid a couple of times for shoots that i went on plus expenses to get there and back but i i was never officially under contract so i never officially worked there i guess so what do you with with all of that in mind what do you think you would say to someone who's fresh out of uni after doing media what would you say are the are things to avoid or maybe the the red flags to be conscious of um well i would say avoid jimmy mattress um, <laughs> it's a difficult one even when i started at my current job i had to do some shadowing unpaid to begin with i think in this industry unfortunately you do normally have to do a bit of time at the beginning where you're either very low paid as a runner making teas and stuff or working unpaid for a time if you can avoid doing that fantastic but it's hard i don't think that everybody is going to run into somebody like jimmy mattress that, that those people do exist but you just have to kind of have your wits about you. And if somebody says something that, in hindsight, when he said, I'm not going to go through the official university program, but I'd like to take you on separate to that, that means the university doesn't have any oversight. You just need to think about that before you accept it. Mm. Because it's obvious, why would the university is going to pay for it? Why would you not accept that? It's better, it's to the company's detriment, if anything. So there's got to be some ulterior motive there. I think. Working where I do now, I'm a lot more skeptical and suspicious. I can think like that, but then I couldn't, you know. Yeah. I can see how people could get bought in. Yeah, I guess it just comes with the naivety, doesn't it, of being fresh out of uni and being a bit wet behind the ears, as they say. Yeah, and there's also pressure to get a job as well, because you're thinking, I'm kind of floating here. I don't really know what I want to do. So here's an avenue to take. And someone like that, who's good at being sort of manipulating opinion on them they can fool they fooled me with the website they fooled the university clearly so it's quite difficult to spot something like that especially when you haven't worked in in the industry before mm. that point you know so i guess that takes us quite nicely onto your current job so you spent your time with jimmy mattress mm. and then was that the next step is what you're in now yeah, and I do kind of consider myself quite fortunate that my pathway went the way that it did. Basically, another friend of mine uh, who I'd lived with, Jacob and I had lived with, they managed to get a, what would you call it, like a bursary internship thing paid at a broadcaster, news broadcaster. And a job came up in one of the departments there, and he basically lit my phone up when he found out and he was saying, you know, I absolutely need to, you know, you, there's a job going, do you want it? And I just immediately at that point, I'd been basically unemployed for a couple of months, think like applying to places, but not getting anywhere. And I just said, absolutely, I'll rip your arm off for that. Introduce me, you know? So I went down there and chatted to the guys there, did about five weeks, I think of shadowing, just going up there on the train learning the role because it is quite a difficult role to teach people because there's so much involved in it but eventually i managed to get the job and basically it's called different things at all the different news 
stations, but it's called technical logistics. Basically, I'm in charge day to day of our fleet of vehicles and all of the equipment that you use. So cameras, lights, you name it, anything to do with broadcasting, the outside broadcast department is what it's broadly called. And I do that for all of the equipment in our London headquarters and all of our regional bureaus and all of our international bureaus. So we've got bureaus all the way from LA to Beijing, and you have to look after all of the equipment there. And also it's kind of grown as a role. I now look after rigging technical OBs and things like that, that OBs meaning outside broadcasts. So if they need to put a mobile studio somewhere, I might go there and help rig the lights and the cameras and bits and pieces like that. So it's quite a broad role. So where where do you work normally? Do you work, you know, like in a warehouse or are you out in out in the big wide world or is it a mixture or how does that work? I, I would have to say I really do like the job for, I think I've always liked the idea of not working in an office. Uh, I just never, that idea never really gelled with me. And I've always liked the idea of working from a young age. I called it working behind the counter. So the idea of seeing the inner workings of things, you're not a customer being served. You get to go in the back room and see how it all works. And so working in broadcast news is perfect for that because the rest of the world is seeing the pictures through the camera, but you're physically there at some of these events. And that just, it feels very sort of special to me. Day to day, I'm working in our outside broadcast unit, which is a big sort of warehouse with all of our vehicles and equipment. So you've got satellite trucks and cars that the camera operators use and all sorts of, you know, millions of pounds worth of broadcast equipment, the sort of cameras you see, traditional like news camera operators where it's mounted on their shoulder, all of that stuff right down to little sort of DSLR cameras. Uh, and anything you can imagine. We've just got all sorts of stuff for all sorts of occasions. So I'm working there day to day, but then I often get sent out to do all manner of different things. Sometimes it's as benign as like this weekend, I had to take a, you know, the well, at time of recording the last weekend, there was a pro-Palestine march in London. And I had to take one of the satellite trucks down to Westminster to Parliament Square and put it in position get the dish up for the satellite uh, because the engineer on shift wasn't coming on till later and you can't make him come in way earlier, put the truck in place, then go home and come back again. So I was doing that, which isn't, you know, it's a random thing that I've been asked to do. The next day, again, at time of recording, there's been an eruption in Iceland. So one of our camera operators had to fly out there really last minute so I ended up getting a train to Heathrow Airport and picking up his car for him and bringing it back, which are, those are sort of very benign jobs, not particularly technical, but it gives you the idea of my role can be so many different things. It's just if you need somebody to do a job, the technical logistics department are the people you call. And there's not many of us. It's quite literally just myself and my colleague on any given day. As I say, it's a 12 hour shift. And then we're also on call through the night, obviously, because news can happen at any time. So it's a pretty demanding job in that respect. And it can take you all over the world, not just in an office. There's not probably as many people who work in broadcast news as there are in other forms of television or film. And a lot of times it is a very thankless task because you make it work in the face of all adversity. 
and then you just move on to the next thing and there's not really a whole lot of thanks distributed. Mm -hmm. And if anything, when you're out on the road, you tend to end up, I, I would say, by and large, the public is absolutely fine. They just keep to themselves or they're curious. But there is a contingent of people who will actively go out of their way to give you abuse and stick while you're out on the road. So if anything, it's the opposite of getting thanks sometimes. Have you got any uh, interesting stories about things that the weird and wonderful public have said to you? We had quite a funny one at the um, the coronation. So I've done all the big three royal events that have come up recently, the Queen's funeral, the Platinum Jubilee, the King's coronation. And at the King's coronation, we were rigging in these cameras on scaffold platforms and each of them had a security guard posted with them just to make sure no one came on the platform or did anything. And I remember we were running these cables into the camera and I hear somebody walk past and kind of, I see they like point into the security guard's face and say, the devil's going to get you and then just walk off. <laughs> and I was like, we both turned around and we're like, did you, did he just say the devil was going to get you? And he was like, yeah, no, he did. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. All right then. Did the devil guess him? I don't know. Uh, I never got a follow up on that, unfortunately. Um, but I, I can only assume he did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what has happened now is people can pull up a stream of the live shot and work out which company you're with and where you are, because there's there is a delay, but it's not that much of a delay. So they can then come over and start hassling the camera operator and giving them stick for being out there, that happens more frequently. Obviously, not everybody is hostile towards the media, but the people that are have grown increasingly hostile, you know, if that's my impression of it. When I talk to the camera operators, because I know all of them, because obviously they come to me for lots of stuff, including just a sort of agony arm, like have a bit of a moan, you know, and I've asked them, about it and it seems like not every single time they go out but fairly frequently if you've got 80 or so camera operators operating of a day every week you probably get like five or six instances of somebody doing crazy things to them or just being horrible to them because they don't like the media you know that is a real part of it it's kind of like how people don't like the police as well in a way it's, it's an institution that you can just kind of rally against and have a go at is my impression of it. You know, I'm not saying it's perfect either, but some people really hate it, you know? Yeah, I would say that I can definitely empathize with that because obviously working in a job center, you do get people who will have a go at you. I think the comfort I take in it or the way that I sort of don't let it get to me is I think, well, I know you're not having a go at me specifically, you're just having a go at what I represent, you know? Yeah. They don't mean to give abuse to the camera person in that specific person. It's like, oh, I'm just angry at what you represent. That's at least how I try and feel, not let it affect yeah. me. It's like, you know, when people are shouting and raving at me in, in the job centre, which doesn't happen that often, obviously. But um, if they do, I'm like, okay, I'll let you have your rant because I know that mm. ultimately you're not you're not annoyed at me. You're just annoyed at the system. And I'm the face of it that you can get angry at. Yeah, I just, I think for me, the, um, I, like an example, there was a guy recently, one of our camera operators who was covering a, a protest and somebody, they were all kind of like shouting and jeering at him. Somebody physically came up to him and like grabbed him by the, by the lapels, you know, and was kind of really getting up in his face. And if, well, the, that camera operator in question, he's obviously got the camera on his shoulder, but he's also 
uh, a black belt <laughs> and has done multiple martial arts. So he kind of, with the camera on his shoulder, still getting a live shot, puts the guy on his arse, basically. <laughs> but then he realizes, oh, that's not a good idea because all of his mates are here too. So... I can't do that. So he has to pick him back up again with one hand while the camera is shot and shove him back into the crowd. No, no, he just fell over, you know. But the thing is, it's like, really, that shouldn't, he shouldn't be subjected to stuff like that during his job. Um, the problem is, I think, it, the thing that I think is a real shame is he's done some really, like, crazy stuff. He's been to war zones. He's done covered genocides. He's been there to bear witness to some of these terrible things and show the world about it. But all he ever is when he goes out on the street and covers a protest, or if he's just filming stuff around the street, people will come up to him and say, oh, you're disgusting. Every, I hate everything you do. And it's very directed. It feels very directed, mm. like you're an agent of chaos yourself. And I think that's unfair, you know, because all of the camera operators to a person, they all genuinely care about trying to be even-handed and tell people's stories properly and fairly. You know, they they agonize over the fact that they they realize that it's a real privilege to be allowed into people's lives to film their stories and they try to do justice to it but that's not what people see they, they've always if they want to find something to pick up on it they will find something to pick up on it it's quite interesting trying to make plans with you sometimes alex because sometimes you know we'll, we'll have arranged to meet up or have a call or something and then you'll say oh no um you know, this volcano just erupted or someone's died and now I'm working for the next two weeks. Yeah, um, it's but my, hard. But out of all of that, the my my impression is, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the most kind of wearisome, long, drawn-out, most labour-intensive things you have to do is often the party conferences. Yeah. So <laughs> I'd like you to explain um, what that's all about. The one thing about broadcast media which i think people they often conflate it with print media and also conflate it with american media is very different in the uk ofcom have very strict standards and they do knock on our door and fine us if we don't adhere to them one of the things they stipulate is that if you're going to cover one political party you can't give undue precedence to one over the other you have to if you're going to go to one party conference and film from there you have to do all the others as well and so one specific year where it was absolutely brutal was the Queen's funeral, if you don't mind me talking about that, because it was back to back. It was like um, an omnibus of pain. Uh, it just went on forever. We always knew that the Queen's funeral was going to be a massive thing because it had been planned for 70 years already. You know, the minute she entered office, it was always going to be an inevitability. But it was such a monumental thing. I mean, I can't really do justice to it in the time we've got. I, I got a phone call on the day that she died. You know, without going into the details of how those operations work, you get a heads up about it. Basically, I got a phone call at around three o'clock from a colleague of mine saying, you might want to think about coming into work. And we already knew that the palace had said they were unsure about her health. So I was like, I know what this is going to be, you know. And from there... Because the party conferences backed onto her funeral, it was a period of national mourning up to the point where she was buried in Windsor, I believe. And because the party conferences fell slightly after that, they didn't cancel them. So we ended up working 34 days, I think it was, in a row, minimum 12 hour days. Sometimes you were working more than that because it was just there wasn't enough people. There weren't enough people to cover an event like that. And that's with 
all of the big three broadcasters pooling their resources you know so they'd say oh if you get your helicopter to do this leg of the journey of the coffin from balmoral down we'll get our helicopter to be on station to do the next leg your camera operator does that we do that there was so much collaboration i think that's it's not like anchorman where we all go and have a fight around the back of the bins (laughs) like a lot of the broadcasters all have to work together and there's a lot of collaboration generally but especially during the queen's funeral but it was just brutal and you're it's amazing at the same time you're there to witness history in the flesh i'm there outside buckingham palace no more than 20 feet away from where the queen's hearse is being pulled by or her her coffin procession etc and i'm there in my suit and you're witnessing it and before you've even got time to process it she's been put in the back of the hearse and it's like right everyone we've got to take this all down derig it all we've got to get it all back in a van we've got to take it down to base check through it all pack it all back up and take it to i think it was birmingham for the uh no liverpool for the labor conference and then on to birmingham it's just that's the one thing about this job you you have those moments where you think what the hell am i doing how did i end up here this is amazing but you never get a chance to process it because the news is such that it's always going on to the next thing you know it was just crazy Uh, and you then have to get up there build the set because there's no set builder so you end up getting the technical people having to build the set as well so you build this little studio you put all the lights all the cameras everything get it working in two days for a live show that goes on for the period of the conferences then you take it all back down and drive it to the next place on the same day and start rigging it again it's just madness you know it's a it i i'm i know it's a bit frenetic the way i'm describing it but i'm hoping to convey the insanity that is doing the party conferences normally and then having the death of the longest reigning monarch in history happen right before it you know so you did 34 days non-stop yeah pretty much i think (laughs) well i i think if you electively if you voluntarily do it i wasn't asked to do that it was just well they said we need people to work and i said okay (laughs) you know so i i did do that willingly you just but, did it for the love of the game, baby. Mm. Well, it, it is this weird thing. It's once you, if you get the bug for doing it, it does kind of latch into you and you can't help it, if that makes sense. I know mm. a lot of the people who do war zone stuff, some of the people I know have been shot and they still continue to do it because it's just something that they, you once you do it and you get that itch to do it, it's really hard to get out of, even when it's at great personal expense, you know. Don't get me wrong, that's not how it is like all the time. That's obviously a very rare example. But I remember because we had so many royal events, we were joking that we were spending more time at Buckingham Palace than we were our own houses. And I'm not entirely sure that wasn't accurate. (laughs) I felt like I was constantly at work for the whole of 2022. And then obviously the beginning of 23 with um, New Year's Day. I was working the fireworks on New Year's Eve. So I was down on Westminster Bridge watching the fights and that was a nice way to like sort of sign off 2023 you know and i was there it was great you know you got front row seats to the fireworks and then the morning new year's day the phone calls start coming through about the japanese earthquake and you think it's just there's no it doesn't end it just goes on forever i genuinely think if there was um an asteroid about to hit the earth everyone else would be going around panicking and you'd still be getting phone calls from the, the assignment desk going yeah so um <laughs> we want to do a uh, like 
a, a show from the impact site. It's only going to happen once, so we need to make sure we get this. So can we do like a, a five camera setup? And you just be like, yeah, yeah, all right, fine. And you put it all aside. And you do it. Because that's just how it works, you know. Um, even during like COVID, you know, that was a really bad time for a lot of people. I had loads of friends furloughed, working from home, took a real sort of psychological toll. And obviously I couldn't see my family or my friends, but because the news media is included in the key worker category. I was just doing my job. I was coming into work, seeing my colleagues, planning out how we were going to get PPE up to crews that were going into hospitals to film things. Your job just, you can always see the world through your job and like, what do you have to do next? So it kind of, in a way, it kind of gives you purpose, even when it feels like the world is falling apart. Well, me and Jacob actually have the power, would you believe it, to create a dream job for you. That sounds wonderful, Jordan, honestly. <laughs> that sounds so wonderful. What we want to ask first is, um, do you already have a dream job in mind? So this is going to sound very strange. Based on everything I've said, you should think that my job is awful and why would I ever want to do it? But I genuinely love this job more than anything I can think of doing. I guess if you could take that but just make it less awful, <laughs> then uh, that's, a, that's a jumping off point. It's too bad, Alex, that one of the rules of the podcast is it cannot be your current job. Darn, okay. <laughs> In that case, no, I um, I think I'm going to have to let you guys work your magic here <laughs> because I, I'm not sure what I would do if I wasn't doing this. Okay. Well, we know that you like being busy, being responsible, being in the back of the shop rather than out on the shop floor knowing what's really going on behind the scenes, man. <laughs> what other jobs might fit into those criteria? Working the pot wash at Vodka Revs in Southampton. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. It's sold. Would it, for you, would it have to be something in the media? I think it could be. To be honest with you, I've, I've often thought one of the coolest looking jobs although I know it's a lot of hard work, is working on something like Planet Earth 3, working in like the BBC documentary unit, because you get to work with animals and you get to film things, which are two things that I like. Do you mean like those people where they dress up a camera as a swan or something so that they can get close to the I other mean, swans? Uh, yeah, I and... guess so, yeah. I was thinking, you know, where you go down to the Serengeti and film like lions and things, or like uh, not necessarily dressing cameras up as things but i guess you could do that too well, it's all interesting i'm sure i mean yeah it's not always a swan they no. go into the serengeti with a camera dressed as swan <laughs> yeah. and run towards the lion to, saying we they can't see situational, us <laughs> yeah a bit of situational awareness is needed based on where you are i think what animal you dress it but up but then because you did say that you were concerned about photography that if you did it as your job then you might stop being interested in it hmm what if you if you were technical logistics exclusively for animal documentaries? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd do that. Yeah, unless I uh, maybe I could search and rescue camera equipment from the mouths of lions or something. <laughs> and then, it, it, then I can factor in the search and rescue as well. Yeah, what if you what if you were like the search and rescue? You were like the surgeon on call for broken and lost cameras. So, I'm kind of that already. Does that count? But you as my were an expert job? in repairing animal dealt damage mm -hmm. to equipment. So, buffing out lion tooth marks, <laughs> um, de yeah. uh, removing 
Cobra mm. Venom from the inner workings of of uh, uh, my arm of your arm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so no, yeah, first of your arm, arm yeah. first, then the kit. That's the yeah, mantra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, doing something like that would be interesting. Yeah, I could definitely do what I do now, but for a nature documentary style thing. Maybe not buffing out tooth marks from cameras, but... Okay, so what if we loaded the warehouse you work in, if we load that onto a flying saucer, and then you can Mm -hmm. fly that to the Serengeti or wherever you're needed and Mm -hmm. land, (laughs) and then they all come in and they're like, yeah, can we have a camera dressed as a swan, a camera dressed as a tiger, a camera dressed as a giraffe... (laughs) Um, and then you yeah. go and get all that stuff for them. And then you can also come out with them into the mm. savannah. And you can, you know, because the, while they're doing their thing, you can have a little bit of downtime. And then if, mm. you know, some big event happens, you can get back in the warehouse flying saucer and fly away to wherever that is. You know, you can also be there while they're doing it. And you can watch them and you can even stand there and say, might be a better shot actually if you just change that and uh, oh, be a bit of a backseat gonna, driver. Yeah, I was going to say a backseat filming. Yeah. yeah, they'll love that. Yeah, yeah. But, but they wouldn't um, mind in this situation. Oh, that's good. They would yeah. appreciate I mean, to, it. I think, on reflection, I think you had me at flying saucer, <laughs> which is not a thing I thought <laughs> that you. I didn't think that was I where like you were going to go with I, it. But. I noticed that I slipped that in, and neither of you reacted at all. And I thought, I just, yeah. I'm so used to you, Jacob. Right? I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like if anything, that's the most impressive part of all of that is the See, fact I that was, I've got flying saucer technology. I was thinking more like a Harrier jump jet, so you can like take, you know, like the. Oh yeah, it's got VTOL. Yeah. I can go up. And, well, yeah, but I was thinking away. that he needs a whole warehouse, and I thought, yeah. what? What yeah. does the warehouse fit onto that flies? And the only thing that... <laughs> a flying saucer, a flying of saucer. Well, can you yeah. think of anything else? The flying aircraft carrier from Doctor Who? Yeah, I think I could do that. Yeah, I could take that. Because that also, seems actually whilst, quite nice. Yeah, whilst mm. you're out there, like, just in, in your downtime, you can take photos of the animals. So that's yeah, not... It's fantastic. Then it doesn't yeah. feel like work to you. That's just like yeah. an opportunity for you I also feel to... like it's a get some good pics maybe a slower pace of life as well because that would be nice (laughs) slower pace of life flying around the world (laughs) in a in a warehouse that's on top of a flying saucer yeah i think that's uh, i'd count that as a slower pace of life what if you could communicate with the animals to like dr do yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) because that struck me as being you know for my from our trip to kosham to go and take Hmm. photographs of a heron Mm. That struck. It would make it a lot easier to get the shot. Yeah, and I don't mean. Okay, how about it's not that you can talk to them, you know, in fluent English, and they will understand and respond in fluent English, but it's more like you can give them the gist. You know, with a dog, you can kind of give it the gist of something, like you want it to sit or lie down or go and fetch or whatever. It's more like you can say to the heron, or like, just stay there just for like 10 (laughs) seconds, 10 seconds, and then I'll let you go, and I'll let you go. Yeah, yeah, just stay there. Yeah. Could you just turn your head a little bit? Yeah, great. Okay. Yeah. And then (laughs) it would would get the gist, but it wouldn't necessarily... When you're doing photography, you end up doing that anyway, so they don't listen to you. Because <laughs> you're like, just walk a little bit further so that you're in shot, and then it's flown away. Okay, okay. then this is the answer to your problem. To problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It, yeah, so we can throw that mm. in as well, because I think then yeah. 
if you take away the flying saucers and the talking to animals, <laughs> what we're proposing is pretty similar to your current job. Yeah. And, you know, this flying saucer seems like a silly idea, but from speaking to you a lot about your job, mobility and getting from getting too far off places mm. is an issue. Yeah. I'd... Because, for example, the time when you were tasked with taking a laptop all the way to... Was it Glasgow for COP26? Yeah. But bear in mind, on the train. We just rigged the entire studio up there for COP26. And then I drove back down. And then the very next day, they said they need a laptop up there. So I got on a train and went back again, which is very ridiculous. So having a flying saucer would have made that so much easier. Yeah. So, um, how well, however big your complex of buildings you're working is, that's Mm. all on the back of a flying saucer. And it can still be Mm. based where it is now, because you just imagine Mm. that underneath it, that's where the flying saucer is. And when it takes off, it just leaves a flying saucer shaped crater impression. Impression, exactly. That's a much better word. And then, Mm. I guess the only downside is it would obviously leave a flying saucer-shaped impression wherever it went. Uh, (laughs) Does anyone else know about this? Is this like, everyone knows I've got a flying saucer? Or am I the target? (laughs) I think you've got diplomatic immunity. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, Uh, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, I think that's okay. I'm just trying to process if a flying saucer can have diplomatic immunity. (laughs) Well, it can, yes. We'll give it to you. I've got I've got okay. some spare ones that I need to give out so you can have <laughs> just little bits of paper yeah. that just say diplomatic immunity on it. Yeah, but it's misspelled it and it's written in crayon. <laughs> yeah. It's just on a post-it note. Yeah. Because yeah. oh, then cool. I guess, you know, because if you've flown to the Serengeti and you've given everything they kit, there will be then a fair amount mm. of downtime when you can go and interact with the animals, take pictures, mm. you know, just yeah. hang out in different countries as well a bit more. Cause, you know, because if in your current position, because of the different bureaus, there's less of a need to go to far-flung places, but you can kind of do that yourself now and cut out the middleman. Yeah, um, I reckon so. I think it's different enough from your current job that it's not violating the rules. We're close to the line. Do you want us to chuck in, in the flying saucer, the uh, the couple of hot babes you met at Vodka Revs? <laughs> No, I think they can. <laughs> well, they can stay firmly on the ground. Well, what Thank if you. um, what if the price of us giving you this? Yeah, <laughs> is that? Well, I'm probably not oh, going to say no. what you think I'm going to say. What is the price? Is that the flying saucer is haunted? Oh, oh that's not so bad. Okay, I, I mean, By yeah, I... Jimmy mattress. <laughs> okay, maybe. Oh man, that's a difficult one. <laughs> I don't think I could put up with that, to be honest with you. That might be my red line. My well, let me stuff. tell you a story, oh, Alex. Right. Jimmy Mattress <laughs> has broken the glass ceiling. He's okay. broken the glass ceiling of how, up until now, you need to be dead in order to be a ghost. He, mm, yeah. What he does is every night when he goes to sleep, his spirit leaves his body and walks afar across the earth. And sometimes mm. he comes and haunts your flying saucer. Okay, as well as other ghosts, sometimes. as well as regular <laughs> other ghosts that also haunt your flying. Saucer. Oh, so it's like a Scrooge situation. Yeah, it's like the ghost of flying saucers. It's like Jacob Marley. Yeah, he's like Jacob Marley. He comes and appears to you, and he warns In you. Chains. He warns you against the perils of mm. um, self-image or s- obsession with self-image. <laughs> 
just to keep you <laughs> Don't because, do what I to keep me because there's a chance that <laughs> yeah. when you have a flying saucer and you can kind of half communicate with animals that your ego might be puffed up. And so every now and then when you're wandering around the observation deck or some other part of your flying saucer, he will just appear and go, and then do something that will make you go, I need to stay humble. (laughs) I need to keep it real, man. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair enough. I think staying humble is very important. So in in a way... Is that even a negative? Well, you know? no. He's well. he's doing me a solid, really. Um, he's just it's a ghost of somebody I don't particularly want to be around. There's a bit of a you know, but swings and roundabouts. I, you're you know. not at all worried about the other ghosts that might be. Well, there. it depends where they are. If it's like Kayako from uh, <laughs> the Grudge, from the Grudge, then no, I wouldn't be massively happy about that. Yeah, but, is she a ghost you know. or is she? I guess she is a ghost. She's more of a yeah. She's a ghost. No, yeah. she's not really a demon. She was a person. No, that's true. She yeah. Died. I mean, I don't want to vouch for that. I don't want her around, but, you know. Well, she is just don't okay. sully her good name. <laughs> I t- I yeah, tell exactly. you, I'll make you a deal, Alex. The ghost won't kill you or cool. or drag you to hell or drag you into an alternative dimension or anything. You know, they, they mm. when they'll haunt you, but when the haunting is over, you will be uninhibited, unharmed. You carry on as before. You'll just be a bit scared. And you might even be a okay. better person for it. Yeah, I'm, I, I'll lean out the window of my flying saucer and go, you boy, what day is it? <laughs> <laughs> to the giraffe. <laughs> and the to the giraffe, game. yeah. And it just won't answer me. Yeah. Well, because it will kind of got the gist of what you said, but it will... Yeah, it'll go, well, I can't oh? answer you. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a concept of days. And one, one last thing before we shake on it, could you mm. try to just make the noise that a giraffe makes? Oh, come on, Alex. But does anyone know what they don't have have vocal cords? I think you know. I I think you know, Alex, so just do it. (laughs) I've heard tell that giraffes aren't even real, some people say. Really? They're all all cameras uh, dressed up to be in the same. Pigeons aren't real. I I don't know how serious of a conspiracy theory is, but apparently they're not real, like birds and other things. Which is weird because they are real. But... They're all National Geographic cameras in disguise. Yeah, they're all plants. Every <laughs> and single David one of them. Attenborough knows every one of them, and he kisses them all every night. <laughs> yeah, every night. Yeah. But Alex, they it's can't like, be plants because mm. then they eat themselves. <laughs> oh, and on that, <laughs> sorry, and, you have to forgive my my strained laugh and, there. And on that note, on that comical note, would what would you think, Alex? Would you shake on it? Oh, 100%. Yeah, that's, that's not right. as bad as it could have okay, been. Shake, yeah. shake, 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 shake. Well, thank you, Alex. Um, I'm so glad thank after you. a not very promising start to this round that we were, in fact, able to identify a dream job when you you made the mistake of already being very contented in your current job, which is very yeah. rude of you as far as I this format goes. I do apologise. <laughs> Unreservedly, I apologise, Jacob. I'm sorry about that. Well, I hope that you continue to enjoy it and continue to uh, attain more responsibilities without um, collapsing into a into a little diamond, <laughs> if at all possible. Oh, yeah, I will try. Uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. For- and thank you for having me as well. No, I really appreciate it, Alex. Thank you. It's been brilliant.
Well, I for one wouldn't mind a flying saucer. Yes, Jordan. It was a lot of fun to chat with Alex, and I think it's fair to say we've managed to get through our 13th episode without the bad luck spoiling the party. (laughs) Yes. (sighs) Yes, Jacob. Especially because you've also scripted this outro and the words we are now saying are all scripted. Yes, Jordan, that has certainly kept us on the straight and narrow. Episode 14 will be out on the 4th of March and will be entirely not unlucky. And 14 is the number of days between each episode of this podcast. So maybe it will be lucky for that reason. (laughs) You just put ad libs response. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Why can't I say anything now? Um, Yes, you're right, Jacob. Um, And don't don't forget uh, to follow us on socials. I hate you for this so much. Don't forget to follow us on socials and um, and uh, listen on. Oh, and give us a rate. Give us a like. Give us a rate on the um, on Spotify, Amazon, and Apple when it comes out. And um, uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And um, we're on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and um, and in, uh, in and Twitter. Um, and yeah. Until next time. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> there we go. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs>